Welcome to Managing Marketing. Uh, today I'm sitting down with Mark Jones, Chief Storyteller and CEO of Filtered Media and co-host of the podcast, The CMO Show. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Um, Mark, uh, it was great uh, running into you at uh, Mumbrella 360 earlier this year and uh, also being able to listen in on you recording the CMO show live. Thank that you. That must have been a uh, quite an experience, I'd imagine. It was the first time we'd done the show in a live environment. That's actually something I dreamed about for a long period of time, getting out of the studio. Mm. So great experience. Um, and it worked so well. I mean, it really, the audience participation or just you know, engagement was uh, palpable in the room. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind. Um, the, the theme of the particular episode was um, making media great again, which is the obvious um, mm-hmm. Trump connection. And, um, and so I think that kind of brought its own energy. Plus also our guest, the CMO at Fairfax, Michael Laxton, was, uh, is a fantastic talent. So uh, being able to help people understand what that uh, brand is going through in terms of being able to connect with their readers and their uh, customers and stakeholders. It was a, a really good experience to get inside the mind of the first CMO. Mm. Now, you mentioned Fairfax then, and in some ways this uh, this journey or, or filtered media, your company that uh, you co-founded, mm. um, actually came from that uh, background. Give us a, a little bit of the story on uh, on how filtered media has come to be. Thanks. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I spent two years at uh, the Financial Review. I was the technology editor or IT editor. And um, prior to that, I was at IDG, um, mm-hmm. both in Australia and San Francisco for about eight or nine years, actually close to 10, I think. And um, so this long background in, in technology, um, business, you know, B2B content uh, as a journalist and an editor, writer, opinion writer, etc. Um, and then uh, when I left Fairfax, I actually had the opportunity to contract back to them. Um, I was producing a podcast, doing some digital marketing, um, and freelance journalism. So um, really, Filtered Media you know, has a big hat tip to, to Fairfax for helping me get started. Yeah, and uh, interesting because it's sort of the start of the gig economy, wasn't it, uh, around 2007, 2008? I guess so. Um, I mean, everybody has their own journey. I, freelance journalism has been around for a, a really long period of time, and that's how I started. Mm. And the the... The interesting thing that happened is that I started noticing the um, the, the freelance word per word rate was kind of going down, down, right? And then I saw this kind of corporate line, and I could you know charge uh, double or more for the a similar kind of product. So when you've got a young family and thinking about what you're going to do with your time, you sort of have to make some big decisions. Now you've just shared your story. Um, and yet storytelling and especially brand storytelling is such an important part of your business, isn't it? It is. Uh, my wife, Heather, and I had this idea. Her background is in uh, corporate PR and communications mm-hmm. and at IBM, Lenovo, and worked with lots of great brands over the years, also in San Francisco and here. And, uh, of course, mine was in journalism. We thought, what happens if you put those two disciplines together? What happens if you can go to a brand and say, we can look after... Um, not just the strategy and the messaging side, but also the content piece and how you can tell that story in a really engaging way. Um, and uh, it felt a bit like oil and water at the at the time, you know, that never the, the two should mix. Mm. Um, but as it turns out, there was a market for it. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, often within organisations, corporate affairs or corporate strategy and marketing are almost at odds with each other or at least talking with different uh, voices. Is, do you think this is where brand story or corporate story can actually unify that? Yeah, we, we, we've been in the market with this line telling your story brilliantly for many years now since, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, at least 10 years. At least 10 years. And uh, I'll, I'll sort of take you to a moment in time. We're part of the, the PROI, the Public Relations Organisation International. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a network of independently owned PR agencies. Uh, we're actually second in revenue billing globally to Edelman. And I was at the uh, annual summit and it was interesting talking to my peers from around the world. And there is this global consensus that the disciplines, if you like, from a channel perspective around, um, uh, you know, PR or earn, paid, owned, shared, um, all, that, all these types of um, channels that we have access to, we're looking for a way to bring them together in a cohesive way. Mm. Um, in my view, um, storytelling is that the answer to that. Storytelling is the one thing that unifies everything that you do. Mm. If you think about it, your brand is a story. Your customers is the other segment that I think about. They have a story of their own, but also a story as it relates to your brand or not. Mm. Uh, and then the other part of this, um, you know, this, this, this sort of, if you like, three spheres of influence is, is, the, is the channel story. Mm. So what you need to do is to try and find a way to bring all of those things together. And again, story, a story, is the best way to do that. And, and stories, do you think of it as sort of the one story or is it actually a whole series of stories on a theme that actually builds over time? Or does it vary? Yeah, again, with the brand story, what's the, what's the narrative of, um, of a particular brand? You could take um, Nike back in, in the early days before they were um, bigger than Adidas. It was, you know, in shorthand, kill Adidas, right? The, mm. the underdog. Um, all different brands have a narrative, a primary narrative that, that they embody themselves and they take yep. to market. So you start from there and then you develop these messaging pillars and then it, as, as the, if you like, the tree extends out, it, it gets into, you know, more granular messaging down. Um, but I do think about it as a narrative. And if uh, the best example is a, a movie director and what's this arc that you're taking people on? Um, mm. And that's, you know, if the brand is the director, how are you going to take people through a journey? But unlike a movie where I've got, you know, the audience's attention for two hours, yeah. uh, it's actually fragmented. So how do I take them on this journey through all these different touch points? And that's where it gets interesting. So, so in some ways, uh, you know, multiple stories to that narrative actually help build someone's engagement or understanding of the brand story over time. Right, and, and that's why you might roll out your messaging um, in different chapters over time, for example. Some of the work that we've done has been, you know, quarter by quarter, and mm. you might um, look to, to take people on a, on a journey. Because certainly, you know, as, as you're explaining that, I was immediately thinking of Qantas. You know, Qantas has done such a brilliant job over many years of having a brand narrative or a corporate narrative around safety. I mean, even to the point that years ago, Rain Man had that line about, you know, Qantas. Qantas are the only ones that have never had an accident. But yeah. everything has been related to the safety of the, the passengers, haven't they? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this actually quite intensively for a couple of years. I've developed a, uh, a keynote and workshop um, series called Beliefonomics, and it's a, it's a framework for how you create that narrative and tell the narrative. Uh, but at its core is this idea is 
with Qantas in mind, what do people believe about your brand? And I think this is the great untold story of marketing. We think a lot about their behavior and how can they um, change their behavior in order to buy my product or service. But if you dig a bit deeper, what do people really, really believe? In the Qantas thing, we really do believe that I will be safer on a Qantas plane. Mm. What do they believe about um, competition such as Virgin? Um, probably I'll be just as safe, but I'll also pay less money. Mm. You know, and then follow the scale, right? What do I believe about um, you know Jetstar? Um, you know, easy way to get to my holiday destination. There are some some core kind of you know belief motivations that really um, underpin brand strategy. Mm. And what I'm passionate about is how do we take that that core belief sentiment from a consumer perspective and how do we reflect that in our storytelling mm. so what brands do you think are doing it really well uh, look globally uh, with it, at the at the risk of um, talking about some of our clients but I think coca-cola has done uh, an amazing job with um, uh, journey so it's a it's a global platform mm-hmm. in multiple countries around the world which is operating um, with this mix of stories about the brand and stories about the consumer. So that's a, a really fantastic example. Adobe's got a great uh, platform for marketers called CMO.com, which mm-hmm. really comes from a digital uh, marketing trade media background and the heritage. So really understanding what that is. And then look, other things that I've been really inspired, everybody talks about um, the Like a Girl campaign. Uh, that was really powerful because people got it straight away. Mm-hmm. And I think the way to identify a, a great brand story uh, or a great brand storytelling campaign is that it, it, it resonates instantly. I got it. I see the message and I got it. Um, and so, um, you know, with, uh, with Like a Girl, there was that, um, that sense that, that, that um, you know, I, if, you rem- if you recall it, it was, you know, I can throw like, I throw like a girl, but throwing like a girl is actually um, a really strong and powerful thing to do, not perhaps what, um, you know, uh, little boys used to think. Mm. But um, in that particular case, it almost feels a little bit as a one-off, isn't it? I mean, you know, good brand storytelling, a good brand narrative would actually create this arc over time. You know, the the idea of story is to create a transformational arc in the audience by telling the story of the brand, isn't it? Yeah, and actually that one didn't go away. Um, They actually went from a very... um, very uh, interesting integrated campaign across all the different channels into these ongoing um, TEDx style events. So they right. did create a bit of a movement out of it, um, and and so I thought that that was quite a uh, quite a great example actually. Um, and then of course, um, you know, there's been plenty of other examples where um, effectively you see these movements um, uh, that start and uh, and State Street, of course, with uh, with the raging bull. Um, example mm-hmm. that was just highlighted um, recently at uh, at Mumbrella three hundred and sixty, right? Yeah, and um, with the defiant girl, right? Yeah, so, standing there in face uh, facing the uh, Wall Street bull, yeah. right? Exactly. And um, what was so powerful about that is that uh, it's an integrated brand storytelling campaign. But the the star, if you like, the foundation, the 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 cornerstone of that campaign is uh, public art, mm. and and this public artwork is now. Um, which was to stimulate conversation to get people thinking about the idea of, you know, this is the traditional financial model, right. the bull of Wall Street, you know, the bulls and bears. Correct. And then you had the young 
girl standing there defiantly in the face of that to talk about gender equality and and um, and diversity. Right, and 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 now she has her own place uh, elsewhere, you know, on Manhattan Island, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, it's a fixture, right? Yeah. So it's actually gone into public spaces, and I think we um, we need to sort of challenge this idea that we have in in the marketing community that. Um, storytelling, um, yes, part of that has been this advertising creative narrative. Um, where well, yeah, because I was going to say that example feels heavily more as a advertising idea than it does a sto- for me than a storytelling. Yeah, idea. but actually, if you look into the case study, um, most of the focus was on earned media, so there was mm. a strong PR element. There was a very strong social element, yeah. and also content, so brand funded, brand produced content. Um, that was all time to come out and to tell the backstory um, of this girl and how they all sort of came to be, and it all it all fueled itself. The the advertising spend was very low. Yeah, but um, agencies, advertising agencies that t- traditionally did the thirty second TV ad, are now you know building their reputations on doing exactly those sorts of what used to be called a PR stunt. Right. Yeah, is now their idea of storytelling. And I just wonder whether that is actually storytelling. Because, you know, for me, storytelling is actually engaging people in a narrative that they almost get to complete the the story, the meaning of the story. They bring the meaning to it yeah. by actually hearing this story. And I think sometimes these stunts get attention and they get media you know they get media coverage because people write about them and that type of thing but then it's almost like so what's next what's yeah. the next chapter of the story what's the next iteration of that story yeah that helps build a brand over time through that you know yeah. um, advertising has become notorious for changing every time there's a new campaign I'm wondering do you think storytelling works the same way I, I think storytelling in its purest form has always been and always will be. We're now talking about the expressions of it. Um, I think it's really interesting to kind of go back to um, some of the, the history about how we got here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working in San Francisco uh, during the dot-com crashes that happened and Probably yeah. my, my greatest story from that is that I survived. I was, you know, from 2000 to the 2000. The bubble burst. The bubble burst all around me and I was uh, had the privilege of documenting it. Um, but at the time, blogs came along. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it actually came out of the tech community and this kind of rebellious spirit of we can be the media, mm-hmm. right? Meaning the, the ordinary citizen. Because mm-hmm. suddenly you had these free platforms that allowed you to broadcast your stories around the world Uh, and people were predicting the death of media and all this stuff well if you fast forward the 10 15 years since that time we still have media in its you know different shades of glory and Mm. uh, struggles Um, but we've now had this idea where brands and and um, large organizations have said in addition to the media support that i'll continue to give in whatever shape or form i now recognize that i can tell my story directly so I become um, also, I have more tools and more opportunity to, to shape that story directly. Mm-hmm. So I can effectively become um, like a media organization. Now, the challenge with that, of course, is that anybody can tell their story, but not anyone can do it well. Yeah. And so we have these kind of marketing, um, we feel like advertising-driven ideals that still, that still come through, and they're not sympathetic enough to... Um, to the audience in terms of what they believe about your brand, 
what they're looking for, what their real needs are, what their real wants are. And if you get those two things out of sync, that's when you can have the, the sort of tension that you're describing. Yeah, because you know, we're talking about content marketing there. You know, blogs were the start of the whole idea of content. And I know content marketing goes back to you know, um, Paul Richard's Almanac and, uh, and Benjamin Franklin was probably one of the earliest brand content marketers. But you know, the way we practice content marketing now, a lot of a lot of brands really struggle with that. Mm. You know, I, I gave a talk in London a couple of years ago, and there was someone there from Heineken, and and when I said content marketing, his reaction was, "No one wants to know how we make beer, right?" <laughs> that the, there's this, this unless you love the beer brand. Well, but even then, you know, beer in some ways you make beer pretty much the same way. It's a universal recipe. There's there's modifications on it, but you know, the fact that he thought. That content marketing and therefore brand storytelling was purely about the way they manufactured a product yeah. shows that people just get completely bogged down on a very literal interpretation of story and content. I love it when uh, John Cleese came to Content Marketing World in Cleveland a few years ago and I was in the audience and uh, he, he got up on stage and uh, he said, you know, he'd, he'd been invited, you know, to be to be the speaker, presumably from left field, because he got up there and after sort of disparaging Cleveland, um, he got into content marketing and said, so content marketing, <laughs> you know, and, and from the outside, it's a bit like that, right? What is this? I mean, content marketing or content marketing? Um, it's very easy to to be confused, if you like, at a, at a surface level. What's happened um, specifically to content marketing uh, over the years, because I, again, followed this really closely, is that um, this fragmentation of channels that we're experiencing is only getting more fragmented. The tools that we have access to are only growing. Mm. Um, we've got ad tech and martech stacks um, seemingly growing in, in number and volume and complexity. Um, and, and so marketers are really looking for um, a, a good strategy for how do I navigate that? Because suddenly I have to interpret that universe internally inside the business. And in addition to that, I've got to deliver a measurable result. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a very complex task. So um, in my view, if you can get the story narrative right, you can know what the brand strategy is, what the brand story is um, from beginning, middle to end and you can know how that relates to your customers and potential customers, then you've got a framework for starting to build out, okay, well, how are we now gonna tell that story? Because quite often we jump too quickly into the telling without thinking about, well, what actually is the story? Mm. Yeah, uh, and you see that a lot. You see storytelling that is actually not either a story or it's a story that doesn't actually fit the brand or fit the strategy, does mm. it? Mm. Yeah. Um, and is that, but also a lot of brands are actually turning increasingly external to get their story told, aren't they? I mean, it's very hard sometimes for people within an organisation to actually see the wood for the trees in what's, what makes a compelling story and a relevant story. So you mean from an agency perspective? Yeah, they're, well, they're turning to um, journalists, they're turning mm. to agencies, they're turning to PR companies to actually help them first of all, articulate their story and then to actually communicate that. Yeah, it's been happening in, in different ways for quite a few years. Um, I remember back in, in the trade press, um, 
you know, we used to have, um, you know, advertorial features, right? Mm. And so if you were an advertiser, you got to send in your press releases and we'd cobble them together into this special report, mm. uh, native advertising as we call it today. Oh, so I hate that word. I know, but it, it, regardless, it, yeah, yeah. It, emotions aside, it's still there. Yes. Um, and uh, so that's, that's an expression, but... So we've been looking at that. We, it's interesting too, we've got this real um, influx into the marketplace of, of independent freelancers, ex-journalists and so forth. So that's, that's one channel, PR companies, mm. uh, social companies, uh, advertising agencies, content marketing agencies, um, agencies like us, which would describe ourselves as brand storytelling agencies because mm. we, we've got, if you like, a, a, a system-wide view of how you're telling your story. Um, and so the choice then becomes, well, who's best to help me get the strategy piece right? Um, who can help me get the execution piece right? And then thirdly, um, who can help me measure it and prove to my stakeholders internally and externally that actually this thing is working? Mm. And in that process that you do, how often do you find, because there's a brand story, but there's also a corporate story, isn't there? And how often do you find... Uh, organizations that have a great corporate story that can be extended into being the, the brand story as well and should the two be the same anyway you know what's been amazing to me is just how strong the appetite is at a executive level to get this story piece right mm. uh, I've been doing workshops um, and, and keynotes around this under the uh, the beliefonomics platform uh, the framework that I've developed and when you talk to CEOs and and boards about um, what is the narrative of our company? This is actually what they live and breathe. Because you, you know in sort of communication theory that there's really two lines um, of communication um, narratives that are going on in a company. One's what the company says mm. is happening to us and to our customers. And the other one's what the staff say is going on, right? <laughs> and ideally you want those two things to be together, but they don't always align. No. So when you come to a, 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 to a board or to a CEO and say, let's figure out what, Real? Have you documented what this story is? Like, what what was your origin story? Uh, what was the vision that you had? Um, what were the trials um, and the challenges that you had to overcome? Um, and then, how did how did you do that? Uh, what was the growth piece? So, how did you actually go from these early formative stage? Tell us the the chapters of it. And then, finally, what's the the destiny story? How have you realised that early vision? If you mm. if you haven't documented that whole piece, you haven't actually documented what your story is. And so you present that to them and say, here's the steps to, to document that. Um, incredible interest in being able to do it because suddenly the, the creative mind explodes. Hang on, we haven't actually told how we came through the, you know, the, the, the adversity to triumph piece mm. because they're still there. So it just hasn't been told yet. Or we haven't actually really articulated what our origin story was, which is always a hot button. So if you start with that, then you can get to the execution piece. But the, the, the marketing and comms, um, industry has been so focused on the execution piece for so long that with the exclusion of brand strategists, we've really not given um, companies an opportunity to, to dig into, if you like, the DNA of their story. And so you go there and they're like, okay, you know, mm. you've got my attention. So it's really interesting because you find the strongest corporate stories in those organisations where the founder 
or founders are still in the company. Mm. You know, and this is why people point to Richard Branson. I mean, he was the corporate storyteller. Right. You know, the whole virgin story from the record shop right through to airlines and, and into space yeah. is all coming from a, his narrative. Right. Right. And then you look at Disney, for example, because Walt Disney was the storyteller. Correct. For Disney. Yeah. When he died, suddenly he left a whole organisation trying to work out, well, what would Walt have done rather than understanding the narrative and then interpreting it for the modern era? Because that's the thing. A great narrative, mm. a great corporate brand narrative is something that will persevere through all sorts of changes. Right. Because it goes to often what is very fundamental about the human condition. You know, in the case of Disney, it's just this, the wonder and, of magic, you know. For um, Virgin, it's it's rebellion, it's changing, it's being the, you know, and, and when you look at all those great brands, but the founder's story is always the most powerful because uh, it comes from an individual, so it comes from humanity. I've got to say, I've been fascinated by this for years. Uh, again, in Silicon Valley, the time that I spent interviewing uh, all the tech companies, the 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 you know, the archetypal founded in the garage, right? Mm. So whether it's uh, Apple or HP, um, and just to use HP as an example. Oh, another right? great brand story, it, Hewlett and Packard. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, and uh, and the story of, of them and how they um, had this fascination for electronics in the garage. Mm. Also, by the way, um, I can't remember it's which one of their wives was, was, was supporting them. She's kind of the untold yeah. part of this story just by yep. the way absolutely um, yep. you know more power to her uh, but how how this this um you know what we call the origin story how it went from there to you know this you know multinational organization which actually now is in two parts consumer and, mm. uh, and enterprise but um the thing that i found fascinating about the hp story was that they had this thing you might have heard called the hp way yeah Right. I was going to bring it up. Right. So, and then the HP way is this framework for identity, mm. um, for how we do things, and for how we tell our story. It's an enduring sense of purpose that's connected to, if you like, this storytelling narrative, right? Yeah. Um, and for, I'm not quite sure why, but we seem to have maybe um, said, oh, that's a, if you like, a, a cute, interesting aspect or a, a quirk of nature that's related to a particular, you know, company. But actually, um, that HP way exists um, in every company, mm. whether you've documented it or not. And so the great opportunity is to, I think, is to uncover that. And how can you actually get alignment um, between that narrative and all these different executions? Because I think one of the disservices we've done in marketing is, is, is this campaign mentality where we go from, you know, one year to the next, a, a different series of messaging, right? And so you're constantly mm. confusing the consumer who thought they understood what your narrative was and now you're saying it's different? Mark, I think it's more than just marketing. I think short-termism in business, especially publicly listed companies, when the CEO is almost held to ransom by the shareholders wanting a certain number every right. quarter. Right. So it means strategy changes depending yep. on what the numbers are. You then go down into marketing and corporate affairs who are constantly changing to meet the short-term numbers. And yet I think that's why the founder's story, in, and, and HP Way is insightful in that it was the founders who had almost 
like stumbled upon or decided that it was important to capture that. Mm. Because at the point that a company floats, and you, you would have seen this with lots of startups, as soon as you know there's a certain amount of seed money comes in, the investors have more say than the actual founders. Mm. You know, and at that point, when all it's about is delivering shareholder value in quotes, and the purpose of why you started in the first place completely gets lost. And, and I, again, I'd go back to, to the, the, the core consumer beliefs in your brand. What do they believe about you? Mm. And are you messing with that? Because if you're, if you're messing with it, it's actually got to be consistent with your story. You're either a company that continually changes and you don't know what it is from one thing to the next. That could be your story. Or it's this pattern of consistent growth, which mm. is what most companies want. So you, you have to make sure that what you're presenting to the market is actually aligned with how how people perceive you to be. And I know that we've been around this block a lot of times with design thinking and, you know, the customer experience and all this mm. stuff. It still gets back to um, to that core belief. And I think a great example in Australia is Woolworths Fresh Food People, right? I'm not, uh, I haven't had anything to do with Woolworths or, or the, oh. that retail sector. Yeah. But what I loved about that, that particular story, of course, is that um, it used to be Woolworths the Fresh Food People. Then it wasn't for a whole number of seasons. And then they had to bring it back. Mm. Um why? Well, I think it's brilliant from a, a just a, a pure sort of uh, messaging perspective because it depositions um, the competition, right? By default, mm. they are, the others are not fresh food people. But actually, what was this story that was in the mind of consumers was, um, I believe that I'll get fresh food from them as well as all the other mm. standard stuff, right? So why would you... You know, why, give that up. Why would you, why would you give it up? <laughs> it's the same with Nike, that every two, two, three years or so, they have to bring back the just do it, right? Just to remind you. By the way, I've got all these other things going on, so, but don't forget we're still the just do it company. So I've got a, a theory on this, which is organisations and especially marketers get bored with their story mm. because one, they've never articulated it as a story. It's a strategy, yeah. right? And strategies are there to be changed. Yeah. And, and the other thing is because it's not a story, because the great thing about a narrative is that you can always add a new chapter to the story, yeah. right? That continues the story along. Mm. And so if you start thinking about corporate strategy and marketing strategy as about building a corporate narrative mm. that talks to all stakeholders, shareholders, employees, customers, suppliers, everyone, and that your job is to continue that narrative week in, week out, month in, month out, forever, mm. and and remain rele uh, relevant. And it reminds me of Jim Collins' book, Built to Last. Yes. Because he said purpose sits at the centre of that. Now, he called it purpose, but it could easily be the articulation of that purpose could be mm. the corporate narrative. Yes. Your job is to constantly evolve how that purpose is delivered to remain relevant. Yes. You know, when Walt, going back to Disney, because I love it as a brand, but Walt Disney, it was animations, it then became movies, it then became theme parks. In the 21st century, it's online entertainment, video on demand, games, books, all, you know, the, as the number of channels presents themselves, the job of Disney is to find how can we bring magic to life into each of those channels. And, and what I love about Disney too is that purpose is how to bring happiness mm. into the world. Mm. And I actually, to get back to your other point, is I think marketers don't actually have any excuse for boredom because 
Um, if we think about the brand story, that's that's one arc, if you like the corporate story, but every company has a set of products and services. So your your if you like the story arc of your company is one big long arc mm. and you can tell different aspects to that. But within that you have these smaller arcs of products and services that are being rolled out and developed just like Disney, right? So the theme parks and the movies mm. and the animation and music and so on and so on, right? But they get tired of the overall narrative. Like the, the thing that drives the the story is what you know and i've seen this i've seen yeah. this in advertising i've seen it in marketing and i've seen it corporately yeah the new ceo comes in the new cmo comes in it, whoever it is mm. has to put their fingerprints yeah. all over it yeah they don't get that their job is not to change it's to improve yeah well they, they, they either they're either bored of it or don't get it right mm. they don't get the power of an enduring story uh, and I don't think there's any more graphic uh, example of, of tweaking a formula than what we're seeing with Star Wars, right? So, mm. <laughs> speaking of, you know, Disney, right? So the, the great fear of um, Star Wars fans is what are they going to do to this enduring, important franchise? Mm. And so you have different directors coming in with their different interpretations, a la marketing directors, mm. of how the story should grow and evolve and change. Um, and, of course, you upset, you know, the diehards. You might bring in some new people, but... Ostensibly, you're you're messing with a, you know, for better or for worse, uh, a, a big meta story. Mm. So I think the message um, for marketers is 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 are you do you understand that as a CMO working with the C-suite, you have the opportunity to be the director of that story, mm. even though the consumers are also you're actually telling their story as much as you're telling your own. You're actually to the extent that you can influence it. Um, you're the director of this narrative, and I, I think if we lose sight of of the importance of that, um, you, you're actually kind of well. You're not going to have as much fun to start with, mm. um, and you're kind of missing the point about the the change and the opportunity that you have to mm. grow. Like the change shouldn't be to the narrative; the change should be into the story that comes from that narrative. Right, the executions. Yeah, and and so to build on that, you know, you look at uh, Levi. Levi jeans. Mm. You know, the the uh, 50s and 60s, it was all about rebellion. And then in the 80s, they suffered because, oh, my God, my dad's wearing Levi <laughs> jeans. Yeah. If I'm going to rebel, I've got to wear something different. Right. Now, what went wrong there? They had a narrative that they forgot to make contemporary. Yes. You know, that's the thing. Can be can still be rebellion. Yes. It could still be that th uh, Harley Davidson motorcycles. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've got to stay true to that because every time we've seen brands radically change the narrative, they st go back to zero. Right. Well, you buy a Harley because you're buying freedom. It's yeah. like, you know, screw the establishment, right? Yeah. I'm just going to get out and hit the road and do my own Except thing. Except that you're now 30-something <laughs> and you're seeing all these 50 and 60-year-olds riding, riding Harleys and you're going... Am I really screwing the establishment? Because that's my boss riding a Harley. Yeah, and I think this generational change is an important one, right? So finding those connection points from an enduring story that are relevant to to the new and emerging generations, that's where the hard work comes around mm. product innovation and um, those, those smaller arcs that I spoke about. So maybe it's hard because you're evolving an existing narrative and so it's so much easier to just throw it out and start again. Yeah, I think so. And again, classic baby with the bathwater. Just be careful you don't throw them both out, right? So, you know, um, you work with a lot of companies, I imagine. Yes. Um, you said that corporately, CEOs and boards are really interested in articulating their corporate story. Yes, they are. 
Do you also find that marketers, are they inclined to also participate in that or are they off doing their brand story separately? They are, but from a different perspective. Um, and, you know, the, the, the CMO or the head of marketing and head of comms, um, there's a lot of pressure going on. Um, and I've seen this across a number of organisations is that you have um, a lot of things that you're trying to achieve at the same time. You're trying to keep everybody in the organisation on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many cases, you've got silos of responsibility um, and silo budgets. Mm-hmm. So you've got sort of conflict around that. You've got your internal comms, you've got your external comms, mm. uh, and there's different degrees of um, pressure on um, measuring the outcomes of what you're trying to do. So they're trying to get a lot of things done, um, and so they get it. In fact, any you know marketer or, or, or comms exec will tell you that um, storytelling is ostensibly fundamental to what they do. The, the conversation has to very quickly get into what you can do when and how. Mm. So you're coming... You know, you're touching on the strategy, but it's very quickly like, yeah, but show me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of time here. So when's this going to do something? Yeah. Uh, it's, a different, it's a different conversation. And, and I think this is, yeah, the reason for asking the question is because I think that this whole area is prime for a CMO to take their place at that board level and C-suite level mm-hmm. because... We've done work with quite a few companies, and especially in the last three years, where we've worked with CMOs and helped them articulate what they started out thinking was a brand story that they had, but how to actually broaden that into a corporate story, Mm. how to actually engage the CEO and the CFO and the CIO and the CTO and the CCO and everyone else in this idea that they started off as a brand story. And the way to do it is to stop thinking about story as something for customers and start thinking it for people. Right. You know, what is the role of this organisation for people? And those people are all different stakeholders. Right. And so this is a question of leadership. And and yes, I uh, am working with CMOs and, and leaders at that level who, who do get it and are trying to, to drive that change. Mm. Um, and they're the best place to do that, by the way. Uh, just referencing um, the, the, the interview we did on stage with mm. uh, Michael Laxton from uh, the CMO at Fairfax, uh, when we spoke with him at the Mumbrella event, he was saying, he's, he thinks that actually we've become so data-driven uh, as marketers that we've, we've kind of lost side of the value that we bring to the board from a creativity perspective. Mm. In his message was stop outsourcing your creativity to agencies and others. Uh, You have to own that creative piece because it's the one thing that's defensible Mm. on the board. No one else can do the creative piece. And I I would suggest to you that from the the storytelling fits in the same category. Absolutely. You know, because it's something that a creative marketing person is comfortable talking about. You know, someone like the accountants and the lawyer. Well, lawyers actually are very good at storytelling if they've ever appeared in court. But, um, you know, a lot of of those people uh, are not comfortable with the concept of storytelling, yet a CMO would be, should be very good at articulating strategy into story because it's one of the ways that you can actually... Um, get people to understand what your strategy in quotes is. Yes, and yeah. I, and uh, getting back to another question you asked before was, um, you know, why is 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 storytelling 
you know, so much more of a, a hot topic at the moment. I think we're moving from um, people at all levels um, of an organisation understanding that this idea of storytelling is is not an optional extra. It's not something we kind of tack in, but it's actually the thing that we need to get right. Yeah, it's at the core of who we are and what we do, um, and so that that's starting to change. And so, um, you know, looking ahead, uh, I can see more focus on how do we get this, you know, greater alignment between the the activities that we have in market with our, our sense of identity and purpose. Mm. It's interesting um, you said about uh, data overwhelming, you know, being uh, driven by data. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, when I talk with the data analysts and data scientists, they've actually realised that the way to make people understand an insight that comes from data is to tell a story. Mm. That just presenting the numbers might work for them, but that for most people, it's actually putting that into a story that actually makes that available to them, makes right. it available to people to understand what they're getting at. Yes. So I think you know, you, you've you ended up in this category, whether you call it brand story or brain story or corporate storytelling. Yes. It's, uh, it's phenomenally powerful and becoming more and more relevant because I think we're using it to make sense of the complex world we find ourselves in. And, and that's a, a great example of what I call a belief moment. And if you want to move somebody along the journey of belief from unbelief in your brand uh, or your company or your story to belief in it. In other words, I really do accept that what you're saying is true and relevant. Um, you, I mentioned at the beginning hearts and minds. You, you need to actually, as a CEO, for example, talking about last year's financials, you've got to engage the hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. So what is the emotional connection that you can make through a story um, that engages your audience and then allows you to bring in the rational, data-driven, you know, fact side of the story, um, because the research shows that when you connect those two things, our entire brain lights up, and you get better attention, you get better engagement, you get better in buy-in, and so you create that belief moment. It's our sense-making mechanism. It's the way we make sense of things. Right, Mark, we've run out of time. It's been great talking to you um, and some terrific stories, but uh, let's finish on a downer. What's the worst brand story you've ever heard?